the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for The Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to The Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. And here we are on uh, another Super Bowl Sunday, I guess it is. Uh, the Patriots are leading, what is it, 13-3, to 3, if, just in case wow. you wondered. Uh, and Jacob is sitting across from me. I guess neither one of us are huge football fans, evidently. <laughs> well, I, I pay attention to that game, yes. Uh-huh, me too. We, we had a good little time together, all the family, and we had a little Oh, you've been doing this food. together? Yeah, with yeah. a little food and all, and... Uh, and I left the family gathering to come and be on the Bible Live because that's my real passion. <laughs> I like that. I like the Bible. We are welcome, folks. Thanks for joining. Jacob and I are here in the studio and ready to take your phone calls for the next ninety minutes. Uh, you can give us a call. Well, that read... doesn't mean your question has to take ninety minutes. <laughs> no, right? You don't have a full ninety Just minutes. Get to, to the point, <laughs> and, and we'll get to the point with the answer, uh, right? Well, we read this last week. If you listen to the Bible Live, the uh, the uh, Scripture reading program Monday through Friday, you get a chance to hear the entire Bible every year. We make our way through. Uh, 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures every weeknight, Monday through Friday, a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures, and then the entire Bible every year. You know, when I tell folks about the program at, at, out at Lackland, whenever uh, we, we have the opportunity, I, I mention it uh, fairly often that we, we are, the door of ministry is open for us to be to handle the religious education programming out at Lackland Air Force Base for the basic trainees going uh, into the Air Force. And on 
Now, you know, one of our classes, we, we, are, we have them for nine, nine Sundays. The last Sunday, they, ha- they have just graduated from basic training. So they're really excited and celebrating, and, uh, uh, and their moms and dads and uncles and aunts and grandpa and grandma and cousins and nephews and old teammates and neighborhood friends, childhood friends, and sweethearts and wives and children, all, but so very many make their way from all over the country to come and stay here at Lackland and celebrate the graduation from basic training into the Air Force with their new airmen. And so uh, we have a class for them. All of them come. We have served coffee and donuts and orange juice and all. But uh, <coughs> uh, so often... Uh, I don't even know what I was talking about now. What was <laughs> your door? Door was open. Yeah, a, a ministry, but, but I was talking about. Oh, I was going to tell the story of how they ask the question quite often about about. Uh, I, I remember it. I remember where I was going with all that explanation. I just got to thinking about all the trainees, and I and I got myself. Uh, I, uh, I got my mind kind of twisted around there. But anyway, we read uh, the books yeah, of Deuteronomy. Uh, may I say, get back on the train? E? Okay, there you go. On the train, E. Yeah, I get it. Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 34. Uh, we read this past week. And then we start went to the New Testament and picked up at the Gospel of Mark. And so we read Mark chapter 1 through 8. Uh, this past week, and so that we're going to focus on that, I th- suspect, during the program. And it's always kind of, to me at least, very refreshing to get into the New Testament. I love to, we love our Jesus, we Gentiles. We just, we, uh, uh, I, I just love to get into the, the 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 bigger picture, the fulfillment of the promise, and the all of the all the prophecies and predictions have now come true. They are coming true in the life of the Messiah. Well, actually, may I offer a a footnote. Please. Okay, I don't think all the predictions have come true. Not yet. You're exactly right. Hey, you're on the ball there. You're listening. That's, that's well, pretty I cool. Was, uh, I've, I've heard it repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they have not all been predicted, uh, fulfilled yet, and there are those. There are still um, prophecies and predictions, exactly right, that are uh, still to be fulfilled. And, uh, of course, our faith is, is that... That they will be, in fact, as were uh, so many others, uh, those final prophecies and predictions will be fulfilled as well. Uh, and um, who knows? It might be 2019. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I would love to. I would love to see the Messiah return as as was promised. And uh, that's one of those predictions that has not yet been fulfilled. This the coming of the Savior as as conquering, victorious um, King. Not as the suffering servant, purchasing our redemption by his suffering and his death, but now as the victorious, conquering king, come to uh, to close the uh, curtain on history and to begin our eternal relationship with him as the people of God. That's that's what we're waiting for. Uh, and so, anyway, uh, we are we read from Book of Deuteronomy, and then we've now gotten into the Gospel of Mark. So, if you'd like to give us a call, you can uh, ask any question. Maybe you have some insights or some uh, perspectives that you have on those passages that we read this past week. I really am enjoying, I'm telling you the truth, Jacob, I'm really enjoying listening to the readings again and going through the um, the Bible. Um, even though it is me, you know, and, I, and I'm pretty harsh and critical of myself and all, but I just love to hear 
the pa- these passages of Scripture. Well, don't feel bad. I love to hear myself talk to you. Yeah, we all love to hear ourselves talk, don't we? Well, listen, let, let's, take a, let's take a quick question or comment here. And I, I'm, I was okay. interested in getting your thought about this, um, about, well, there's a whole lot of things that we talk about in the book of Deuteronomy. It looks like the book of Deuteronomy is a really genuinely major book for for the people of Israel, right? The, the Jewish people highly revere and you use quite a bit the book of Deuteronomy. Well, Correct? I, I should say this. The book of Deuteronomy is actually the, what I would classify as the first time there's been, quote-unquote, a sermon on the mountain, uh-huh. a phrase that the Christians are familiar with. This is what Moses is doing He's at the as the leader of the nation. The there you go. He's uh, teaching Torah, uh-huh. explaining the and, law to the people. And I will say this. At the time of Jesus, <clears throat> pardon me, at the time of Jesus, uh, the Romans finally got to the point where they had forbidden the Torah. They did not forbid the Torah, the prophets, etc. And as I said before, at that time, there was three death penalties they had implemented. One, having the Torah. That wasn't initially that way, but it grew to that. So having the Torah, circumcising your children, or having a Jewish calendar, all three of those were a death penalty. And now, I remember you even brought a copy of yes, that I law. Did. Yes, you, I sure did. You yeah. were so intent on backing that yeah, up and confirming it. Yeah, because I wanted to make sure everybody knew I wasn't making this up. Right. And that was Roman law. That was Roman law. So uh, the other thing I want to say is that so what? They did. The Jews, and this is what always troubles me because I have heard, and I'm not looking to pick a fight, Mm -hmm. but I wish other people would just give up and submit to my being correct. (laughs) No, I'm I'm joking. I'm I'm joking. But uh, at the time of Jesus, the Jews, boys and girls, would memorize the entire book of Deuteronomy. And there's what's called a cantillation in the Torah. Mm-hmm. In other words, little marks on how to chant. The entire Torah is actually written in such a way that it can be chanted. It's like, you know, when you do a song, you know, you, you can remember it because it's a song. Now, you said the entire Torah. Are you talking about Deuteronomy? Yes, or? All, all five books. Oh, all five. But at the time, since Deuteronomy is a, a recapitulation mm-hmm. of the first four, mm-hmm. you might say, all the Jews were memorizing the book of Deuteronomy. So we get – I actually know in the Gospels, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 72 point something percent uh-huh. of everything he says comes from Deuteronomy. Now, the reason I think for that is that he would have known, as the other Jews would, they'd recognize those passages. But that's actually a historically fact. Well, uh, that that makes sense to me. And uh, oh, thank you, thank you, you, everybody, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. Thank you, thank you. Be seated, be seated, everyone. That, the standing ovation is a little hard for people to pick up on radio, oh, but uh, 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 Jacob is standing here in the studio for him, giving himself yes, a standing yes, ovation. I took, I took a bow. <laughs> anyway, a um, couple of things that, that I wanted to mention. One is I was curious if you uh, there is. One um, commandment in Deuteronomy, and that may be, it may be actually mentioned in other places as well. Uh, what do you mean there's one? Leviticus there's a whole bunch and so on. <laughs> but there's a quotation that I, I'm interested oh. in because it's one that comes oh. up, I, I think if I remember correctly, it's, it's, it's quoted five times 
in the book of Deuteronomy. Okay. Moses is, is going along and he is he, he has presented the Ten Commandments and then he's expanding on the Ten Commandments and he's giving examples of what this commandment might mean uh, in, in like a um, – in a, in a criminal law or in a civil case or something, he's giving examples of what the implications of the the, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, uh, kind of expanding on them a bit is the way I understand it. And then sometimes he'll be quote he'll be marching along and giving a long list of explanations and commandments and 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 sort of a defining what it means and so on. And then he will at the very end of that, or sometimes kind of in the middle of it, he'll say. Do not ever cook a lamb in its mother's milk. Right. And it, sometimes it just seems like it comes out of the blue, like all of it, he's talking about one thing entirely different, uh, maybe uh, uh, sexual prohibitions you know, within, the people, within the families or, or, or some other kind of law he's mentioning. And, and then all of a sudden he pulls out of his hat this little command, don't don't he pulls a lamb out of his hat. <laughs> don't don't uh, boil or cook a lamb yeah. in its mother's milk. Uh-huh. Now, I I was curious about that for a lot of years. That's what I do when I read the Bible. I'll I'll find a verse. I'll run across something that I don't understand or that I don't see clearly, and I wonder where in the world did that come from, and I just hang on to it. Some sometimes for years it bothers me. And I'll just hang on to it, though, and I'll keep thinking about it and keep listening. And then sometime, uh, I mean, almost every time, uh, at some point, I hear some teaching or I read a book or I I have a thought even myself sometimes, and I go, oh, that, I bet that's what that means. (laughs) And the problem is, (coughs) excuse me, sometimes I don't know where I get the idea if I get it from someone else or someone, and I, I have to be careful about that. But now this thing about not boiling a lamb, a baby lamb, in its mother's milk, mm-hmm. I don't know where I heard it or how I got the idea, but uh, I have settled upon the explanation for that saying that what Moses is doing is he's marching along, giving all these commands and all these instructions, but then he pauses to remind the children of Israel that these commands and these instructions are given for our blessing. They're given for our benefit, for our good. They are intended to set us free to enjoy life and, and to uh, be happy people and to be successful in our homes and the families and our relationships. They're intended to be a blessing, not to be this huge burden. Uh, and, uh, and so we are so apt, I think, as human beings to Take this list and, and you know kind of make it a burdensome thing and put it on people to you got to do this you got to do that and it seems like it might be Moses uh, explanation now be careful here that you don't turn these commandments into something negative you know that you don't by your attitude about them uh, don't don't use for wrong what God has intended for good and blessing the the idea of the you know the the the, the use uh, motherland's milk is meant for blessing and not to be boiling the the lamb in it. So, in other words, I I just wonder if you've. I know that's kind of out of the blue, and I didn't give you any forewarning about that. But uh, how is that particular passage? Oh, you're very, at? you're very close to the reasoning involved. Okay, it's. Uh, <clears throat> let me play a game with you. Uh, a lamb is a baby, right? Right. And what does a lamb live on? 
mother's milk. Ah, so you're taking something that's meant, as you almost suggested, meant to nourish and give life and using it for death. So, in other words, uh, don't Good. take, don't mm-hmm. mix life and death. That's why milk is never served in the Orthodox Jewish world uh-huh. on the same table with beef, because you're mixing. I see, and because milk is meant to feed a baby, and so you don't take something that's meant for life. And use it for death. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, good. I wasn't totally out in the uh, no, no. left field on, no, no. On, with that one. I think one. you were in the right field. And the other thing, <laughs> <laughs> I'm outstanding in my field, you know. Um, th- th- here's another question I had for you that I wanted to hear you comment on particularly was, uh, well, we could always talk about Moses' song. He was the first the the first song recorded song i think not not sound recorded but recorded song i understand is the song of moses here well uh you know we 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 could certainly say he was a recording artist <laughs> uh but i believe that uh that there may be a couple of little things around okay that okay kind of okay anyway, so. all right so then we have that but then but then one thing i noticed in the song of moses yes. uh, which is uh, what chapter 31 Yes. Uh, of the book of Deuteronomy. In yes. the Song of Moses, God is given a title that was later used by Jesus and then from Jesus himself to the early church and even uh, by us today, perhaps even, perhaps I don't know, even in the Jewish world? What's that? Father, Son, yes. Holy Spirit. Yes. Uh, well, but it was fa- actually... Father for sure. It was rare for the Hebrew Scriptures, but... Uh, it was this title, Father, uh, and I, I was looking it up while ago. I have it uh, in the Bible if we want to look at it. It's in chapter 32, verse 6, and it talks about and refers to God as mm-hmm. the Father. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I've always kind of wondered, evidently the titles Father, Son, and Spirit, Holy Spirit, uh, it is Jesus, the Messiah, who who kind of popularizes or kind of adds his seal of approval to that terminology, although the God is referred to as the Father in the Hebrew Scriptures uh, a, a few times, not many, yeah. but one of these is in the book of Deuteronomy. And then, of course, the Son is referred to in the Scriptures, the Son of God. And then also um, uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to. But it seems to be into the time of Jesus, he's the one that seems to kind of lift these names up and kind of formalize them in the sense of, uh, you know, the we refer to God, you know, in his great commission, he said, uh, go and teach all the world and baptizing him into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so on. So it it seems to be Jesus who does that. What uh, I was just kind of curious about your thoughts and, and, and the perspective, the Jewish perspective of that terminology, the idea of the, the fatherhood of God, and, and uh, it seems to me, and maybe you could even comment broader on all of the titles that are given oh, I can't to do God. That. There's seventy-two. There's seventy-two. Is that include all of the, uh, like the um, the one about Jesus? Our, I mean, God, our healer. God, yes, our yeah, all those, all yes, of those. Uh, I forgot the. What are those called? Uh, what, what are the names? Um, um, Jehovah Rapha, healer. Jehovah yeah, something else. Yeah. Our, our mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, I don't know where I was going with. I was going to ask you, boy. 
Uh, my mind is not going well today. But I was asking you about these titles and these names that God seems to give of himself. I've always told people that I'm working with or teaching or discipling that those are not meant to define God exhaustively or comprehensively, but they're really meant for our benefit, right? To to give us each each title that God gives it tells us something about his character, something about his plan for us, his I redemptive think the plan. I the word the Jews would tend to use is, is it's not him, doesn't define him. Uh-huh. And when I say him, he actually embodies both the, male, maleness and femaleness, right, uh-huh. but it's referred to as him. And uh, uh, C.S. Lewis calls that masculine and feminine as opposed to male and female. Well, Masculinity, I'm, not, I'm not saying femininity. gender male and female. I'm right. saying that's why he makes the distinction right. on the basis of I'm saying of, yeah. maleness and female. Not gender, but yeah. yeah, not gender, not sex. But um, uh, I would say that uh, it's an attribute. That's I think how the Jews are doing. Well, that's okay. just an attribute. Mm-hmm. So in this particular instance, he's showing us that characteristic or that attribute. So when he says, they didn't know me by this name, uh-huh. like in Exodus, but they will know me by this name because I'm going to rescue them. Uh-huh. So he's, it's an attribute or a characteristic, but not certainly not a definition. Not a definition or a limitation on God. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I just I, I think it's wonderful. And I've often wondered in my, in my own self, I have not, don't have an answer for this question, but kind of why did God choose to at least in this era, it seems like if, if uh, for the sake that Jesus is Messiah, we've now entered into the Messianic uh, era, uh, the expansion of the gospel, the expansion of God's kingdom around the world to every nation, every tribe, every people group, and so on. Well, let's Why? return to what you were suggesting about the Father. Okay. Now, I will tell you that the word Father, Abba, Appears many, many. In fact, you'll hear Jews when they talk today. When they talk. is Abba Hebrew or Greek? It's Hebrew. Hebrew. Okay. And uh, it's in the Talmud all over the place. Uh-huh. So it's a very common phrase in the it, Talmud. Yeah, in the Talmud, but it's not real common in the Torah. You might in say. itself, yeah. But I will say the verse you're, I think, you're referring to is in thirty-two-six. Uh huh. Is that right? Yes, it is. Uh huh. And the version I'm looking at, which at this particular instance is NASB. Uh huh. Uh, by the way, that's probably the most literal translation in English. Uh, I mean, among the Christian Bibles. Uh-huh. Uh Do uh, let's see six. Uh, do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is He not your Father who has brought you? Yeah, he has made you and established you. So we're learning something of what a father is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it goes on in verse seven. The reason I want to return to this. Then he talks about a human father in comparison, and, and number seven. Hey, is, that's a theme you should like because you always end our program uh, saying, uh, "Be the kind of oh yeah, be the kind of parent person you'd like to have for a parent." Good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so in seven, he says, "Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all the generations. Ask your father; he will inform you. Your elders, and they will tell you." Now, elders is uh, in a very real sense. The rabbis, the teachers of Israel, are to incur much the same type of respect as a parent. Uh-huh. Why? Because they're teaching you. So that's what that's really referring to. Now, there's something else here in the same chapter, since you brought up the word father, mm-hmm. that goes on. Uh, and it says, uh, look at verse 10. 
Okay. Um, do you have? Did you bring a Bible with you? I did. Say? I'm getting dragging, pulling it over here. Not dragging it. I'm pulling it over here right now, so I can. Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to catch up. We're going to run out of time in just a couple of minutes, so we'll, we'll probably take this through the break. But uh, go ahead. 32. Well, six. No, you go ahead. 10. 32. 10. 10 now says, uh, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him. Is that 10? No, here's oh. 10. He found him in a desert land and in the uh, the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Ah. Is this saying that God found Jacob? Israel. Israel, okay. The, the nation of Israel. Got it. But actually, pupil of his eye from the Hebrew is actually this. Are you ready for this? Yes. It actually says literally, the little man in his eye. The little man in his eye. Not the apple of his eye. Well, that wouldn't make it a lot of sense, that poetical thought. So they translate it as apple of his eye or pupil of his uh-huh. eye. Does it like mean that. the same thing, the idea? Well, I don't know. But uh, little man in his eye. In other words, if you get real close to somebody, perhaps when you're talking to your wife at the, and you're very close, you can actually see yourself uh-huh. in, in somebody uh-huh. else's uh-huh. eye. I see, uh-huh. So that's actually what that refers to. Very, very interesting. And now there's something else I do want to bring up. Uh, Look at your verse uh, number 8. Now this is something that's a good piece of knowledge for the average person to know. Would you like to read it? You want me to read it? Which one is it? Uh, 8, 32, 8. 32 verse 8 says, When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations... When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Ah, that's an interesting. Now, that's why I wanted you to read it. Look at this. God certainly gave the land of Israel to the Jews, Mm -hmm. but he also gave other boundaries to other peoples. So there are borders established by God. And it says, and it says, according to the number of the sons of Israel. How many were there? What happened, Sophie? That air conditioner is blowing my papers away. Oh, okay. Well, I thought your kite got away. We'll take care of that in the uh, break. Okay, uh, okay anyway, go ahead. So it says, according to the number of the sons of Israel, how many are there? Seventy. Seventy, yeah. that's right. Seventy nations so, that went down into Egypt. Yeah, right? well, each Jew was basically, each nation, there were 70 basic, then. basic nations. Uh-huh. And each Jew is supposed to take the Torah to each one of the basic nations. All right. It is very, very interesting. Well, we'll finish our just these few comments about the book of Deuteronomy. And then we'll go and jump into the Gospel of Mark here in our, the rest of our program. You can give us a call if you'd like. The phone number is 210. That's the area code. 340-9585. 210-340-9585. Don't go away. We will be right back. Sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus. 
Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. May the central focus of our lives be Jesus and loving him with our whole heart. Hi, and welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. It's titled, All I Can See, and it was written by Ann Cetus. Krista stood in the freezing cold on a winter day, looking at the beautiful snow-encased lighthouse along the lake. As she pulled out her phone to take pictures, her glasses fogged over. She couldn't see a thing, so she decided to point her camera toward the lighthouse and snap three pictures at different angles. Looking at them later, she realized the camera had been set to take selfies. She laughed as she said, My focus was me, me, and me. All I saw was me. Krista's photos got me thinking of a similar mistake. We can become so self-focused, we lose sight of the bigger picture of God's plan. Jesus' cousin John clearly knew his focus wasn't himself, Right from the start, he recognized that his position or calling was to point others to Jesus, the Son of God. Look, the Lamb of God, he said in John 1, when he saw Jesus coming toward him and his followers. He continued, The reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed. When John's disciples later reported that Jesus was gaining followers, John said, You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. He must become greater. I must become less. May the central focus of our lives be Jesus and loving him with our whole heart. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Middle of the night or middle of the day, you'll hear messages of God's Word from national and local hosts you know and trust all day, every day on AM630 The Word. And now through your Alexa device, more at am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Singer-songwriter Chris Brown recently released a new single called Undecided. And the video version of the tune has already topped 7 million views on YouTube. But while that video is mostly perceived to be a fun dance collaboration, the song itself has quite a bit of content to deal with. Brown grapples with his indecision about whether he should marry the woman he's with or keep things intimate but casual. In fact, he makes it clear that it's only the sexual side of things that he even cares about. Chris Brown may be undecided, but I am not. There are definitely problems here. For the full review of the song, be sure to visit PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Family, Plugged In.
Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. I am not skilled to understand What God has willed, what God has planned This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And in my heart I find A song about the Savior. We are back. This is the Bible Live, the quiz show on Sunday nights. You get to hear the Bible, the entire Bible, every year here on this great station, Monday through Friday, 9.30 in the evening. You get to hear a 15- to 20-minute reading from the Scriptures. Uh, this particular week, we're into the Gospel of Mark. We finished up the book of Deuteronomy in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and we have just begun the Gospel of Mark, the second of the uh, books of the New Testament. So we get to do that on Monday through Friday, and then here on the weekend, we comment and talk about it and ask questions and take your questions as well and your comments on the air about the book of books. Uh, and so if you'd like to give us a call, this, the phone number is 210, that's the area code, 340-9585. And just before the break, we were talking about... The uh, you had led me to a passage in in Deuteronomy chapter thirty two. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the fatherhood of God. This title that we find there, uh, that Jesus uh, later in his ministry seems to uh, put his seal of approval on that those titles for the members of the Godhead: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, uh, I, I was just commenting on the back. And what else were we talking about there, Jacob? That the, oh, the nations the, and the, the people seven, groups. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so it seems that for whatever reason, God certainly – now, when they say Israel was chosen, that doesn't mean preferred. Mm-hmm. That means they had a chosen task. That was to take the Bible, the Torah, mm-hmm. to the 70 nations. There were 70 basic nations. There's offshoots and branches, but basically 70 basic nations. And the the land uh, that God gave to the people of Israel mm-hmm. was right smack dab in the middle Boy, I'm of, of uh, these empires it that rose and fell. It was in a bad neighborhood. Yeah, all around them. Egypt in the south. There was uh, Edomites the, uh, yeah. and so on. Yeah. Then there was – In uh, fact, there is a – Jewish joke. It's uh, take this in uh, the happy mood that it's meant. Uh, is everybody listening? Now? Okay. That's <laughs> uh, so Moses up on the mountain. He says, "Okay, let's see now if I got this right, God. Uh, they get the oil and we cut the skin off. What?" <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, the the whole point of, though is that they were surrounded through. Through hundreds and hundreds, through many centuries, uh, Israel was right in the middle of these rising and falling empires that 
controlled the world. It was Egypt, and then it was uh, uh, Assyria with their capital in Damascus. And that's uh, true, there's, but there's Damascus. seven. And to see what people really need to catch is, and it says, according to the number of the sons of Israel, mm-hmm. uh, what that's referring to is there are 70 sons of Israel at that time. Yes. They the, went down into, down into Egypt. Egypt. So we know that there are 70, and for some reason, God said, okay, there are 70 basic nations, and one basically Torah, or one person to become, may I say, an emissary, mm-hmm. uh, a shulchan, uh, an emissary. Uh, ambassador? Ambassador, so I'm looking okay. for, to that nation, yes. Uh-huh. That was the idea. I-, I wonder if that was in Paul's mind when in Corinthians when he said, we are ambassadors for Christ. I wonder if he thought of that particular passage right. or thing. I'm, I'm sure he did. He probably had it laminated in his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. I interrupted uh, right. but, uh, but the point is, so it's inter- interesting that it was 70, and, and so there was nothing really preferred special about any piece of land. Now, Israel is special in mm-hmm. the sense that it has some other things. It's a sort of a physical sim- symbolism of, mm-hmm. you might say, heaven, because I go there. But the idea is, is other countries were also given their boundaries. Mm-hmm. And this verse right here is referring to the nations, the people groups, as you like to say. And I remember when uh, they were uh, allotting the different uh, tribes of uh, their portion of Canaan, uh, God made a point of saying, now I'm not giving you any of their land, because that's uh, been a portion to them. There's a spot you know, where them. God actually says in Deuteronomy, you cannot take any of their land. That's not yours. So there's a dual commandment. Israel, this is yours. of people groups around the planet. Uh, and and uh, there are a number of passages that speak to this, but God is the one who sovereignly controls the movements of people and the migrations and so on. And the other thing is that God intended and intends for there to be different uh, people groups, different nations with language, culture, with borders, uh, because this it, it, it is, it, it's an important concept because – uh, it was one of the ways that God intends to limit the influence of the sin nature on humanity. Men and women are sinful, selfish and sinful. They crave power. Uh, they, they will harm others to get it. And so the whole point was that God intended that there would be different people groups competing, if you will, competing people groups, so that that serves as a check and a balance on the human, the the sin nature within humanity, and you see that, like you just kind of referenced the the Tower of Babel, when uh, Noah uh, comes um, out of the ark, uh, they are told to spread out and multiply, to spread out over the earth, to fill the earth. Adam had been told the same thing, but neither one of them did it, and so finally we see there in Genesis, I think it's Genesis um, eleven. 
the uh, the flood, the great flood. Uh, no, the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. Seven, seven is the Tower. flood, and and in the Tower of Babel, where God enforces this upon them that they would be different by enforcing language. He divided the human race up into these people groups. It people is no, that there is no doubt that yeah. uh, in the plains of Shinar, uh-huh. they tried to build what's called the Tower of Babel. Right. It was a gigantic place, very wide roads, and it spiraled upwards. And it was wide enough for people to go on so they could go up towards heaven. So if another flood came, they wouldn't get drowned. They wouldn't get caught. And That's they say the, that, that, that in that pa- passage, they say, so that we won't be scattered, so we won't be uh, destroyed and, again. And what they were doing is establishing one language, one world government, uh-huh. one way of being controlled. Mm-hmm. And God did not seem to approve of that. <laughs> yeah. he, he got his way. He confused the languages. But still, you see, even in our times, the great push – uh, a, a great push continually from uh, humanistic or agnostic or atheist type forces to, to to bring about one world government. We want uh, we want one we want a centralized power and government. And of course, that's why our leaders, our the founding fathers of this nation, they did everything they could to to weaken central government. Yes, we're going to have a federal government, but but it's going to be weak and it's going to be limited in every way. Now, we see even right now the great pressure that's taking place politically, even in, in our own country, America today, in the 20th, 21st century. There's this great pressure to take away those limitations, and we want a strong central government running everything, and t- nothing about states' rights and that sort of thing. But our founding fathers knew they understood that principle. By the principle. way, did you Was know that, that work? President Trump is getting a dog? Really? Yes. Would Jack know what kind of dog he's getting? Mm, yes, I would like that. A border collie. <laughs> uh, did you know that President Trump has outlawed the sale of block cheese? No, I mean, I the sale. Uh, I mean, he's he's limited all purchases of cheese uh-huh. to be purchased in block. You can't buy it in packages anymore. It's just in blocks. Uh-huh. It's part of his. Is part of his strategy, part of his plan to make America great again. Oh, I got it. <laughs> the G-R-A-T-E. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one. I don't know why. Well, I, I guess um, the joke, the Trump jokes are going to be going on for a while, it seems like. But anyway, the, w- these, these questions and thoughts about borders and people groups and movements of people – uh, that's very relevant today, and it really we do need to have a biblical. If we're going to be followers, followers of the true and living God, if we're going to listen to His Word, and He uh, tells us who He is and what He's doing and why He's doing it uh, in His in this Word, and it's very clear that God intended there to be distinct people groups with language, culture, borders uh, in each group, and and um, the enemies of the message of the Scriptures are quite. Uh, they're they're very strong trying to tear down those uh, those borders and make one world one world government and so on. Uh, th- that is kind of fascinating to me that and they use it. You were mentioning the the basis they're using now today is the idea of social justice, and I kind of have an understanding. Well, what, what troubles means, me but, is I, I'm a hundred percent believer in justice, uh-huh. and I think the justice is derived basically from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am a believer. And justice in, means fairness. It, well, I think it means whatever it says in the Bible, right? But uh, justice, justice shall uh, you pursue. So, um, but 
equal I'm, justice for all people. Uh, everybody's equal. Yeah. Everybody's equal, and I believe in justice. What frightens me, and it literally does, is if I put any adverb, an adjective, a modifier in uh-huh. front of the word justice, then, then somebody else can put any other modifier in front of it. And what I'm concerned with is if we say social justice or black justice or white justice or whatever you want to do, if you're allowed to modify justice, then you suddenly pervert it to where it's no longer justice. Yeah, anybody could modify it, I suppose. That's right. Yeah, that's a good warning. And, and for that's us. what troubles me. And I do know that social justice concentrates on the final step, the what you might call the accumulation uh-huh. of stuff. Uh, justice ensures equal opportunity at the beginning. Yeah. So everybody should have. Yeah, the social equal justice rate. focuses on equal outcome distribution of e- who's equal accumulated stuff. That's right. Instead that's, of equal that's, opportunity, that's very akin to communism. Mm-hmm. But I, what scares me basically is to put a modifier, adverb, adjective, some kind of modifier on the word justice. It really doesn't need a modifier, actually, well, if you it understand doesn't it. doesn't for me, unless you're wanting to use a euphemism for, if I may say this, as I interpret it, unless you're wanting to use a euphemism for communism, mm-hmm. a redistribution of people that had accumulated stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm not in favor of anybody dominating and owning everything, and I know mm-hmm. there's different points of view on mm-hmm, this, and I respect mm-hmm. that. But what I am worried about is if we're going to determine at the end of the game, you might say, how we're going to have to divide. And God was always a great believer in sharing, doing charity, but he never said you had to divide. Yeah. The federal government is not a 501c3 charitable organization. It is well, – it's the government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we get it. We understand. But that's the battle that's going on. And we need to bring the perspective of God's word, the truths that he gives us in the scriptures, and bring them to bear. Our founding fathers did a brilliant job. They got it right. They they put together the oh, best possible. Oh, they were possible. brilliant men, brilliant men. They put together the and best possible. And they insured possible. minority. Did mm-hmm. you know that? They insured, I know those. Sure they did. Of course they but did. they yeah. insured minority states yes. by the so-called electric co- ele- yeah. ele- the electric college. The electoral college. Yeah, I know, the electric <laughs> college. Yeah, the Bud Lights, the, uh-huh. the electric lights, all that. Uh-huh. But, um, but the point is they set it up to where 38 states could have, could have actually override the feds and change it. But if you do away with all the electoral college, you no longer have the states that can override the king, uh-huh. the federal government. And only, uh, you know, California, New York. Only well, actually, the- it would be four. California, Texas, New York, and, and Florida. Florida. Right. Now, if you want the whole country to be controlled by them, well, that's that. But they were so clever they want to ensure minority rights mm-hmm. and it really is a brilliant plan the other reason i'm told is because in case of an they were fighting great britain in case of a national insurrection or something's going on they, they could each state could send a delegate to meet to one place to keep the government going exactly but the other thing is assures the minority rights of little guys little states because they they get the same vote <laughs> rhode island Gets uh, two senators just like Texas yeah. does. Uh, but, and they were so clever. They set up uh, the House of Representatives, which presently I believe is 435 congressmen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So everybody gets their vote there. The states 
are represented by two senators from each, which means each state has a minority. And if all those states, if 38 of them want to get together and say, we're overriding the federal government, they actually set up a system where you could overrule the king. Mm-hmm. Incredible, right. smart. Incredible wisdom. I mean, just it's astounding what we have. And I'll be honest with we you, we seem to be yeah. eagerly and readily and quickly well, as we can. Because we don't teach throwing it away. Yeah. I don't understand that. We don't teach our children. We don't pass on knowledge. We've totally yeah, it's failed. A, it's on a that. shame. We've uh, and and I'm going to tell you, I could not. I would not be smart enough to set up that system. It's no, uh, no. I think no. I, I personally, I think it was a God thing. I think God was. Active and doing that, and we can believe that. I mean, that okay, so we better get to Mark sense. because you know Mark's out there. We got to do that. We got to do that. Wait, so quit Mark has about been Deuteronomy waiting. so much. Okay, uh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't going to talk about it at all. You just insisted. Mark was his um, gospel. Mark was his uh, Roman name. You uh-huh. might say John was his Hebrew name. Uh, yeah, we all uh, know a lot of Jews named John. Yeah. Ma- Mark had a great deal of contact <laughs> and connection with. Uh, I think Paul. His, I think his Hebrew name might have been Yannickan. Yannick. Yeah, well, <laughs> like now yeah. we're into Star Wars or what? No, no but actually, uh, yeah, but but uh, yeah, that's right. He had a what you might call an Anglo-Saxon name. Okay, and, and the, he is the author of this. The Gospel is bears his name, the Gospel of Mark, but. He seems to be writing and representing the memories, uh, the memoirs of Peter. Uh, John Mark uh, did have a connection with Paul. Remember, he went with Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, on his first missionary trip with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, John Mark went with them, mm-hmm. and then he returned early. He dropped out, and that p- created a point of contention between uh, Paul and Barnabas and on the second journey. Paul did not want to take him because he dropped out of the first journey, and he. And, and, but but Barnabas did, and they had a difference of opinion. So, and their difference of opinion was so stark that uh, Barnabas actually they divided. Barnabas took John Mark with him, and continued his uh, discipleship, continued his teaching, his development, whereas Paul went on in this second missionary journey. But years later. Uh, and and uh, Paul is writing one of the epistles. I, I, I forget which one it is now, but he said, by the way, he said, send John Mark to me, for he is valuable. He is useful to me. And so evidently uh, they got over their difference of opinion, and Paul uh, later on kind of repented and said uh, he reconciled with uh, with uh, Barnabas and, of course, with John Mark in this case. But I'm telling you just a little bit of background about, the, uh, about John Mark. He was a young man. Uh, when Peter got out of jail, remember that time that an angel released Peter from jail, and it said he went to John Mark's home. That was oh, his home okay. that he went to. Uh, remember the little the little servant girl answered the doorbell, and when she looked out and saw that it was Paul, uh, she thought it was a ghost or something. They'd been in the back room praying that he'd be released. She goes to the door, and their prayers have been answered. He's been released. But she's too, she's too afraid to, and, and she thinks it's a ghost. But uh, uh, interestingly enough, but anyway, uh, Peter goes to John Mark's home. What else do we know? Oh, in all probability, you know when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Eden. Uh, in the Garden of Eden. Good night, Soapy. What are you thinking? The Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when Jesus, uh, Judas leads out the uh, authorities and they arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and, the, and the disciples that are with him scatter the, into the night. 
they run so they won't get arrested. It says that that one of them, uh, as he runs, is stripped naked. His, uh, evidently, a, a soldier grabs his clothing, and instead of getting caught, he peels out of his clothing and runs off into the night naked. I don't know if you've ever noticed that detail. I have, but as I understand it, he was what we might call in his underwear. In his undies, okay. He's wearing his Hanes still. Uh, I know what Hanes means. (laughs) It's a Hebrew word for... Grace. Grace? Yeah. Oh, that's the Hebrew... Never forget the word Hane. That's actually the word... For grace. How about that? I'm sure there's a joke in there where it's about the underwear. We'll work on it. But anyway, it ran off naked or ran off in his underwear into the night right. at the rest. That supposedly it is thought that that was John Mark. Well, that was this young this young man. So uh, I'm just telling you a little bit of a background about this person uh, who wrote this particular gospel. But essentially, though, representing the the perspective and the memoirs uh, of Peter. Um, all right, let's see. Let's get into the Gospel of Mark. Generally speaking, it is thought that he speaks from the perspective of emphasizing the servant nature of the Messiah. Each of the four Gospel writings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is thought each of them had their primary perspective. Now, these are not, these are not um, what can I say, uh, these are not histories necessarily in the strict sense. Uh, yes, they want to be historically accurate and true about what they the, the perspective they represent, but they're not just they're not unbiased. They're not just talking about history. These are four men: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who who they were followers. They they were devoted to following Jesus Christ as Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, and that they were laying down in their in these books, they were laying down their criteria, the reason they followed Jesus Christ, the reason they believed in him and trusted in him. And it's said that each one of them, in, instead of being like a history, it's like each of them are painting a portrait, but that each of them have their own distinct perspective of Jesus. They watched the different events, they heard the different sermons that he preached, and they picked up on different things, each one of them, and now they're sharing those insights, those memoirs that they have. Uh, so uh, th- that's what we get. Then Matthew, his particular emphasis was on Jesus as the King of Israel, the Messiah, the Redeemer, uh, the uh, the King. He writes primarily to a Jewish audience, and it quotes greatly from the Old Testament scriptures to to demonstrate clearly that Jesus was indeed he did indeed fulfill those prophecies that were made about the Messiah and so on. Mark writes about and emphasizes the servant nature of Jesus. We see him going quickly from person from person, town to town. He's raising people from the dead. You know, he's interrupting a perfectly good funerals and raising people from the dead, children, boys and daughters. And I, I just I love all I wonder if you could pictures. apply for a refund on the cost. <laughs> that would be interesting. But uh, <laughs> a, a resurrection term in your, in your clause, in your, in your, in your contract, right? Well, then, uh, so Jesus goes, he heals people, he's making things right. It, 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 that's the emphasis of John Mark in his gospel is that Christ, Jesus, the servant. And then uh, Luke would be, the, he's the only Greek, he's the only non Jewish author 
of a New Testament book is uh, Luke. He is a Greek, and he is a physician, and he emphasizes the human nature, the the humanity of Jesus uh, as the Messiah, and his role, uh, the eternal Son of God. He never ceased being God, but he took on the role, as Paul explains in Philippians chapter 2, he took on the role of Messiah, the Redeemer, so that he could win our 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 forgiveness and our cleansing. So we see him in 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 Luke as the humanities of of Jesus, as the, his role as the Messiah is emphasized. And then finally, John, who is the probably the most theological of the four Gospels, John emphasizes the uh, the Apostle John the the divine nature of the Messiah. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, he says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And he goes on to talk about the Word was flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. So John is the more theological in in placing and identifying Jesus as the eternal Son of God and, and, and the idea of the incarnation taking on flesh. Uh, to carry out the work of redemption. So, uh, and he talks about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Uh, he talks about the the nature of the Godhead in his uh, high priestly prayer, prayer in John seventeen and so on. But let's go back to Mark now and pick up uh, these. I love the Gospel of Mark. I like to see Jesus going from person to person, healing these people, and the great number of people that he runs into. I one time I remember I made a list of all these different people that that Jesus meets, in the, and it's just they're from every strata of society, rich and poor. They're foreigners. They're Jewish people. They're moms and dads. They're boys and girls. It's this this great uh, diversity, the variety of people that he met, that he dealt with, that he healed, that he ministered to, and uh, th- that to me is just a fascinating aspect of the Gospel of Mark. Well, there's I our music, music again. I took away our segment there. When we come back, I want you to talk a little bit about Mark. You, I want to bring that Jewish perspective that you bring to other scriptures and. You know, as you kind of as you look at the Gospel of Mark, or anything particular that you that comes to your focus in your mind. All right, we you're listening to the Bible Live. We've got a 30 minute segment to go. If you'd like to call in, uh, the Patriots have won the Super Bowl, 13 to three, and, and so uh, uh, you can turn that off now and join us here. We're talking about the Gospel of Mark. Love to hear your comments. 340-9585. Don't go away. You own a local business. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that Soapy Dollars. a good song. We are back. This is the Bible Live, the quiz show. 
And we uh, invite you to stay with us through this final segment of the program. We're discussing all things biblical here on the Bible Live, the quiz show here. We've been talking about the book of Deuteronomy. We've just kind of introduced now the gospel of Mark in the New Testament. That's what we've been reading through this past week, uh, Monday through Friday. And so let's spend our last segment here talking about the Gospel of Mark here, one of the four Gospels. It presents Jesus as uh, in his Jesus in his servant nature. He goes from person to person, home to home, uh, different parts of the country, traveling and meeting the needs of people uh, that he meets along the way. So uh, we'll talk about that. Um, there, I guess, there are any number of things that we t- could talk about. Um, any of these things, any of those jump well, out at you, Well, since Jacob? we just finished Deuteronomy, and it actually started the tradition of what's called Sermon on the Mountain. That's uh, right, yeah. The, uh, chapter 1 of Mark, verse 27 and uh, 22, talks about he's teaching with authority. Uh-huh. Uh, I read that to mean exactly what Moses taught in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, that only the king can do it. In that passage in Mark... Is, is this is a kind of an example of what I was saying earlier that Matthew covers that in detail, uh, three chapters, he five, does. six, seven, and eight, yeah, maybe. Uh, Mark references that teaching in that moment, but he doesn't go into the great detail about the the message itself. No. But they're talking about when Jesus, uh, with his followers, his disciples and, and followers, he went to a mount, and you think you know the name of that mountain where he taught that I sermon? Think, I think it's Mount Tabor. Tabor. Mm-hmm. And he. When I was little, I had a friend with the last name Tabor. Is that right? How about that? His first name is Michael. Uh huh, Michael Tabor. If he's listening, hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. (laughs) That's nice of you. But anyway, the point is, is that Jesus taught Torah. He. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount was not just Jesus kind of going out and do. It was a very specific thing that the king or the leader of Israel was commanded by Moses, and then Moses actually gave an example of that in the book of Deuteronomy. It was commanded every seven years to teach the Torah to the people. And here we have this example of Jesus doing just that. That was a, It was a messianic claim, actually, that I am the king of Israel and I'm, I'm supposed to teach Torah. And as you said, the comment, general comment was he, he taught as one with authority, not just like another well, one of the rabbis. Let's just read 127. Uh-huh. And they were all amazed. So that they debated among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? No. Then he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Yes. So uh, I think what he's doing there with authority would mean kingship. And uh, that's what Moses commanded from Deuteronomy. And as you said, it's only once every seven years. And according to what we understand from the Gospels, his ministry was three years. So if we actually put that together, we can actually determine when and where this took place. And in Deuteronomy, it tells us what high holy day would take place on. So Uh we actually know. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, there's another thing, too, here about these uh, experiences. These... These are carefully selected, I believe. These these people that Jesus met, a lot of them have a very specific points. For example, uh, sometimes you'll hear people say, I don't think very often, but sometimes from time to time I'll hear someone say, well, Jesus actually never really claimed to be the Messiah. He never claimed to be the Son of God. 
And when I hear that, I think, well, I'm not sure you've ever read the New Testament. I don't think you, you must not have ever read the Bible because it seems very clear he did over and over again. And there were there were different ways, I think three or four different ways that Jesus claimed uh, the role of Messiah and claimed uh, the role to be God. And that one of those was direct claims when he out and out just said very directly, yes, I, the one speaking to you, I am the Messiah. I am the Redeemer. I am the Savior. I am the Son of God. And he did that on a number of occasions, and he got him in trouble quite a bit. Uh, a lot of times when he did that, people started reaching down for rocks to stone him to death for, for blasphemy, for being a man claiming to be equal with God. And so there were very clear times when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be the Son of God, and, and direct claims. But then there are also indirect claims, where, and we see a lot of that in the Gospel of Mark, where he claimed a prerogative or an initiative or, or an authority that only God had. For example, uh, there's the story told in um, chapter 2. There's this paralyzed man that his friends lower him through the roof so that they can get him into Jesus' presence, hoping that Jesus would heal him. He's paralyzed, and they lower his bed down in through the through the roof of this uh, of this uh, of this home. And Jesus, before he heals the man, he says, "Your sins are forgiven." And then uh, the religious leaders, those that were standing and watching every move he made and every word he says. Uh, they're saying, oh, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. That you've taken upon yourself an initiative, a prerogative, an authority that only God has. And of course, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says to them that very thing. You know, you're saying, yeah, only God can forgive sins. But then he says, what is easier to say to somebody? Is it, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier to say rise up and walk? And of course, the answer to the question, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because who's going to know? <laughs> you know uh, who knows if their sins are forgiven or not? But he said, but so that you will know that I, the Son of Man, have the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, speaking to the paralyzed man, rise up and walk. And he did. And so he did that miracle with the idea of demonstrating uh, that he indeed his it was a, a, a claim of divinity on his part and messiahship, for example, and that happens a number of times. I, I noticed that I, I think even when his disciples were criticized for for eating wheat as they went through the uh, fields, a uh, wheat fields on the Sabbath. Uh, the rabbis and the religious leaders crit- criticized Jesus. Why do your disciples work on the Sabbath and so on? And and Jesus says, I, I you know he claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath, and, and that the Sabbath was created for man, uh, and so on. And so you get a little hint there that he's he's taking authority uh, on an area that only God truly had the authority. There there is another one I was thinking of. Oh, uh, and that would be the indirect claims. Then there's the dramatized, or you might even call theatrical claims, where he 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 exhibits uh, that he's the Lord of, of of life and death when he raises people from the dead. He exhibits uh, his power and authority. Uh, I, funny enough, Jacob, the other night when we read the opening chapters of Mark, I read uh, uh, the Psalm Psalm forty eight, 
which talks about how God is the ruler of the winds and the waves. They obey his voice. And on that very night, when we turn to the Gospel of Mark, uh, we read about Jesus that night. Remember, they were making a boat trip across the Sea of Galilee. That'd Jesus be was chapter asleep. Chapter 5 of Mark, I believe. Yes, uh, chapter, yeah, exactly right. Chapter 4, I think it is. Yeah, chapter 4. And it comes well, he from, does. It's chapter 4, and he calms the sea. Psalm 148 is the, not 48, 148. But he calm, he says, peace, be still. Now, why is that Why is that vignette in that story? I'm wondering if it's related to Psalm 148, where it talks about God being the ruler of the winds and the waves and the sea. Uh, it, oh, I, I read I, them in the same night, and I connected them. I thought, man, I said, that's a Jacob thing, I thought to myself. It, it definitely probably is, but so he's calming them. And I think it is connected to God who controls the winds, the waves. He was asleep. But, Isn't that something? But why is this little vignette, if it's a given that God controls the winds and the waves and all that, mm-hmm. is it just meant to show Jesus can do it? Or is there something else going on here? Where are they on their way to? They're on the other, their way to out of Israel over to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not considered strictly speaking. Not is they're they're not in Israel. It's a, well, at the, that time, the, I don't the, think the, the Romans thought there was an Israel. So the land of the ten cities, yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the Decapolis, I think. Decapolis, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And and that's where they meet that guy in the, uh, the in the, the graveyard. The, the crazy guy. The the yeah the crazy guy or the demon possessed guy. Now, why is it that this little vignette of uh, Something we all would take that God controls the winds and the waves, mm-hmm. etc. Why does this vignette occur just prior to seeing the crazy guy? Well, dun, dun, I think it was dun, an important dun. lesson about faith. Well, let's see here. I think we should do this. Let's see. Okay. Are you going to give us the answer? Is that yes. the idea? Yes. Okay. It's because. At that time, there was a very, very popular religion that was being pushed in Israel by Romans and others, uh-huh. and the Syncophonicians, Okay, that <clears throat> the god of the wind was the one controlling all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So you certainly, Jesus is demonstrating that, no, God, uh-huh. the creator of the heaven and earth, he controls that. But he's calming it. He's actually defeating the wind god. And this is a very popular religion that was taking place at that time. And they were saying, no, there's a god of the wind. And as we know, through the Greek and some of the Roman mythology, they had a god for the gates mm-hmm. and the wine and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a very interesting idea. So first thing, on the way there, he shows that there, he defeats this so-called mythological god. Mm-hmm. So that god is defeated. Then he, then they get there and confront. After he defeats the god, he deals with a crazy guy. Mm-hmm. Now, and why? It, it wait, wait, an wait, wait. Don't go, lesson about don't faith, go right? so fast because mm-hmm. this is going to be worth the opportunity. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so now, why is it important that he defeats that god? And let's play along with the story. Let's say that there was some type of evil spirit or God, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Let's say there was. That was causing the wind, and he calmed it down. So he's defeating that uh-huh. God. Now, why would that God want to prohibit Jesus from getting to where this crazy man is? What's the purpose? Because this crazy man had been wreaking havoc 
over there on the people of that land. They were afraid of him and all that sort of thing, for one. All right, all right. Um, and I well, let's was it he did not want – he wanted to prevent Jesus from going over and healing that man, maybe. Well, let's start on chapter 5. Do you say still have Maybe your... he was trying to interrupt – he knew that Jesus was going – that Jesus would probably heal him, mm-hmm. and he, maybe he was trying to interrupt that purpose. This God, the Spirit, the uh-huh, Satan. Uh-huh, we'll, uh-huh. we'll play along with the story. Okay. And we'll say the Spirit was trying to keep them from getting there. Uh-huh. So the there was some reason this we're playing along with the story. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, the first thing God defeated that wind god, you might say, and uh, and actually, so now that we're going to say the story is suggesting that he stopped that God was trying to stop him. Jesus snaps his fingers. That guy goes away because he's not really a god. Let's mm-hmm. say. Now, do you still have your Bible? I do have my Bible. Well, look at chapter five, verse one and two. Okay. That would be chapter 5 of Mark. Mark, not Deuteronomy. We're moving on. And the nice thing about this. Moving on up (laughs) to the east side. Okay, Mark. Chapter, you said 5? 1 and 2, if you you don't mind entertaining us. Oh, I don't mind at all. Anything from a good buddy. Okay, here. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Is that what you said? Yeah. Then they came to the other side. Uh, of the Sea of Galilee to the country of Gadarenes. Uh, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling place among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him." And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Wow, this was a one piece of work here. This is a so very... the spirit of God, as the story is suggesting, was trying to keep Jesus from getting to that guy. That's the story. That seems to make sense to me. Well, because... it should because it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. Now he gets there, and uh-huh. this guy comes over there, and he starts talking to him. Now. What is is this man living and breathing? Yes. Well, why is he living in a graveyard? Because he's crazy. No. Okay. Uh. <laughs> he's certainly crazy. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I go along with that. He's crazy. But there's something else going on here. It makes it real clear. He's living among death? the tombs. The idea of death. Ah, he's alive, but he's dead. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. He's alive, but he's dead. And uh, actually, in the story of Matthew and Luke, the story is a little more enhanced and explains it a little better. But, and, and, and Jesus is going to bring him to life. Yeah, but then, and he, so he's living with the dead, but he's alive. Now, Jesus walks up to him, and look at your verse. Uh, uh, why don't you read 8, 9, something like that? Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. I guess speaking of the spirits that were inhabiting this this man in the tombs, that lived in the tombs. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. Okay, now, did Jesus ever commit a sin in your opinion? No. Then... Destroying somebody else's property, pig or not, 
would be a sin. That's mm-hmm. taking somebody's property. Okay. Okay. So if we agree with you that Jesus did not commit a sin, why would the spirits, the demons, actually the word in Hebrew is shadim, and it's a particular kind of spirit that can come from different sources, shall mm-hmm. we say. And they say, send us to the herd of pigs. Well, if we just didn't commit a sin, he can't destroy somebody else's property because that belongs to somebody. That would make Jesus a thief. And he can't, have, he can't do that because he didn't sin, as you say, right? Okay, go ahead. So where does the spirit or the shadim come from sometimes? Eating unclean food. Ah, from pork. So he's not destroyed. Which is forbidden to the, to the Jews. Jews. So we know this man is Jewish. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is these demons, He's not. Jesus is not destroying because if he didn't sin, then he's not destroying and taking somebody else's property. He's returning to them from whence they came. Returning. He's not taking. He's uh-huh. returning. He's returning. You see? So now. Excellent. I got Good. this picture in my head that these pigs are you know, like eating some stuff, you know, and they're just raising along. All of a sudden, that spirit goes right into them, and they raise their hand and go, whoa, what was that? And, uh, <laughs> and they came back, and they didn't like it any better than the crazy was guy. Was that did. your imitation of a pig? Yeah, whoa, whoa, what was that? <laughs> and well, they ran down and they drowned themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus, would, uh, if he's not sinning, he can't destroy somebody else's property. That's not a nice thing. Mm-hmm. It's also a sin. So, if it's the spirit that comes from unclean pork, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he just simply returns it, he didn't take, but he's returning them mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. They go and drown themselves. Now, and the word in the Hebrew, the legion, would be like a shadim, but I'm sure that that word was selected because of Ro- Roman legions. Yeah, uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Big, but um, anyway, so you got this wind god. Uh, that was stop, trying to stop him, but not really a god. First, takes, he gets rid of the god. Just Which to, makes me wonder, what was at stake here? Well, if the wind god was going to so much trouble just to keep Jesus from from healing this one guy, is that really what all it was at stake? Which, which makes me say, I, it seems to fit to me a narrative here, because look what happened, okay? Okay. Then they, they, uh, then they came verse? to Jesus— Verse 15, okay. they came to Jesus after this, and they saw that man who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, sitting with Jesus. And they were afraid because this guy was now fully clothed and in his right mind. He was seated. He was humble. He was calm in Jesus' presence. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Now look at this. When he got into the boat, he, he the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus that he might go with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but he said, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all Marveled. Now, the reason I'm reading that to tell you what Jesus told him to go back now. Then you have these two, the Gospel of Mark follows up with these two times that Jesus uh, feeds uh, large groups of people. Um, 
Let me see. Twice Jesus miraculously fed large crowds. One was over 5,000 people in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, mm-hmm. uh, over in Israel, in primarily a Jewish audience. And a second time, he fed over 4,000 people. And this was back over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, back in Decapolis, where Jesus had sent this man to be his advance man. Mm-hmm. Remember, he said, I want you to go to all these towns and tell them what great things. Sure. And so now here comes this period of time later, Jesus goes back, and 4,000 people turn out to hear him preach. Wow. Why do you think they came? Uh, well, because it was that man. They, they saw the advertising. <laughs> yeah, it was that that formerly uh, uh, demon possessed man yeah. right. who went and and, uh, and, and, and now you see they why got the that, message too that Jesus said, "Keep kosher, Jews. Keep yeah, kosher." Yeah, exactly. And that may that may make more sense too is why this this false god or this demon was so intent on keeping Messiah from. Yeah. Healing this man. It wasn't just that man, but was the potential impact of that man's transformed life on that entire region. And we and see that come we to fruition. Time, why don't you give the Christian take on the 5,000? As you just talked in question, question 20, I know you, where you got that from. Uh-huh. Uh, because you, you, prepare, you and your family, I guess, prepare the questions. What is it, six what now? Uh, well, you said, you said it's verse 20. Uh, 30, 20, 6 verse 30. 20, 20 is what okay. you're but uh, what what is the Christian take on the five thousand and the four thousand? Now that I, I I've I used to know that I thought I knew it. That the five thousand, there was twelve baskets taken up after it, what? right? Mm-hmm. And that evidently signified the twelve tribes of Israel. I'm guessing. I'm not quite sure. Actually, I'm going to suggest something different. But do okay. the Christian take first? But it's interesting that that Jesus does gives some significance to this because he even tells his disciples, don't you remember yes. that over there I took up 12 baskets and over here we took up 10 right, baskets? Right, and, right, right. and so there's, there's, there is some significance. There's some message yes. in both of right. those miraculous feeding yes. incidents. Well, you, you go ahead. I, I think you've got well, it down better than I do. It's this. It's the 12 baskets are each land portion because they're a basket in Israel. Mm-hmm. So each tribe's portion is their basket. You'll actually find it in Deuteronomy. Okay. That we just read. Okay. Uh, we didn't touch on it, but you find it. So let's say that the, each basket is the land portion assigned to each tribe. Well, what they do is they would prepare the fruit of the land, the crops they grew, they take it to the priest. <clears throat> and they give from each one of their baskets their their fruit of their, their harvest, and they mm-hmm. give it to the temple, to the real priest. And this, so, there are 12 baskets. But, uh, as you know later on, there's also uh, the fort feeding of the on, on the east side of the Galilee, there were 10 baskets. Well, uh, perhaps. And I'm just, in the interest of time, uh-huh. I'll cut it short. It's, it's, let's say this. You'll find the same numbers in the same lesson in the book of Joshua. Okay. Jesus is kind of replicating what Joshua did. Because when Joshua came in, first he had to do, first they did a Passover. The 5,000, I'm going to suggest, is the first Passover. But we know that there is a uh, Shania little Passover, a second Passover. Uh, uh, That's right, Uh uh-huh. And so the 4,000, I'm thinking, is the second Passover. 
Interesting. And here, and the reason for that is this, and I'm kind of getting this from Joshua, obviously. But you see, all Israel is not Israel unless all 12 baskets are free. In other words, you can't have just four or five or six and half the land still captured by whoever. You've got to have all the baskets of all 12 tribal lands free. Then... Israel is complete. So it takes 12 baskets. So as they're doing it, there's only so many baskets left over. But then they got to go ahead and do the rest of it. Then pretty soon they get 12. That's why he actually says, as you were uh-huh. quoting, he says, I, you saw the 5,000, you saw the seven baskets. You saw the 4,000, you saw this. And you still don't get it? Yeah, He's he, saying that, look, it's just like the tribes that stayed on the east side of the Jordan. They had to go for help make all Israel free. They had to have all 12 baskets, and even the first basket is not free unless all 12 are free. Interesting, interesting. Well, I had always heard and thought, and it seemed like I've read that that second feeding of the 4,000 over in Decapolis was somehow a reference to God, the redemptive plan of God toward the Gentile peoples. Well, that's why I said, why don't you explain it from a Christian point of view? Mm -hmm. And I've heard that, too. And and let's face it, that may be right. I, I... I tend to think it's uh-huh. more what I'm suggesting, but that, from the Christian point of view, I've heard that many times, and maybe that is right. Folks, uh, you however, can look that up for yourself. If that it. is right, both of those are very, very but interesting all, perspectives. But all Gentiles are always allowed to participate in Passover. And by the way, the music has just started, so may I say, please do. Uh-huh. Always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. All right. I'd like to hear that reminder each and every week. Thanks, folks, for being with us tonight here on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, We appreciate your being with us, and uh, we we want you to join us Monday through Friday as we continue our way through the Gospel of Mark this coming week. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.